Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good. good. We're alive. Good. Did you guys open your Bibles to Psalm 101? We've been in this series called Summer in the Psalms, which is by far one of my favorites. Uh, Katie brought the word last week. So if you weren't here, I'd just encourage, go, go check it out online, go catch up with us. But otherwise, we're going to be reading in Psalms 101, Summer in the Psalms. It's going to be up on the screen, Bible app. We're going to read together. Actually, would you guys also stand with me as we read the word? Starting in verse one, it says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me and I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me and no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Well, Holy Spirit, we just turn our hearts to you in this moment. And God, we just ask that as we read your holy word, it would read us. Would you just continue to lead us and guide us? Would you cause us to look more like your son day day after day? And so Lord, we just give our hearts to you. We give our attention to you. And we ask that you would speak to us through this psalm. It's in your mighty name, everyone said. Amen. You guys can take a seat. You guys can take a seat. If you guys could, would you just take a little deep breath? breathe in and breathe out, mostly because I don't have an intro because I have too much content. And so we're going to be jumping quickly. And I was actually originally planning on sharing a story about picking up dog poop and my experience with doing that. And it was horrible and I got it on my hand and I hated it, but we're going to be jumping right in. So just take a breath, focus in because we're, we're, we're going to be basically going for the rest of the service with no breaks. So here we are. Human identity what makes us up as people is such an interesting topic to study. Like what, what makes Caden, Caden? What makes, what makes me, me? I, I would say there are a lot of different factors. If we think of your family origin, your parents, your siblings, your, your eye color, your height, there are all these things that make me, me, my DNA, whatever. But all of those things, you, you can feel the difference of if I was to say something like I was born in Brooklyn, New York, or I was born in Loveland, Colorado. Like immediately you kind of, you may see me differently. And then there are, there are other things that affect who we are. There's something like my job, my occupation, or, or the friends that I'm hanging out with or my hobbies. That all kind of describes who we are as individuals. And this is not an academic term, and I'm sure there's one out there, but I didn't research it that far. This is just my opinion of it. But I'm kind of calling these things 
like primary parts of our identity and then sub parts of our identity. So I would say something like that I, I was born to Blake and Kristen Bush. That is a primary part of my identity. You cannot take that away from me. I was born, I, when I was born, I had two older siblings. You can't take that away from me. My name is Caden, you can't take that away from me. But something like my job or the people I'm hanging out with or where I'm living in the area, those are, those are sub identities is, is kind of what I'm calling it. And, and I kind of mentioned this because if you've been in the church for any time, you know that you can't put your identity in those things. Like I, I can't put my identity in being a pastor because then if I someday am not a pastor, my identity will crumble. Or I just got married a year ago. If I placed my identity in being a husband, we know that Maddie can't carry that weight. She can't carry the weight of being my wife. And so we have these things. And if you've been in church, you've known, it's like, oh, you must place your identity in Christ. Identity in Christ. We hear that all the time. And, and I think for us to say that there's a couple things that we need to understand of when we say identity in Christ. First, we need to know who Christ, who Christ is, who Christ was, the way he lived. I would even say, to go so far to say that Jesus was fully God, fully man. So that means he also had these primary identities, these primary parts to his identity and these sub parts to his identity. So Jesus, he was a carpenter, right? You guys know that he was a carpenter. He would have been a friend to his disciples. He would have been a teacher. He was a prophet. There were all these things that helped make Jesus who he was. But I would say if you were to take away his carpentry skill, he would still have been Jesus, son of God, right? You guys are tracking with me, these other sub-identities. But I would say Jesus probably, if I could break it down, had three primary identities. And you could probably argue more or less, but I would say there's these three primary identities. And the first one is that Jesus was fully the son of God. Jesus was fully the son of God. And if, if you look at even our own lives, like what we're called to put our identity is, is being children of God. Jesus was fully the son of God. We're called to be children of God. I would say the second thing that Jesus walked perfectly in as one of his identities was a priest. I know, and that's kind of language that maybe we're unfamiliar with in the church. Like Jesus was a priest, but where that comes from is Hebrews 7. It says that Jesus, he came from the order of Melchizedek. And so what it's getting at when it says that is, he, he walked perfectly in the responsibilities of a priest. And so if you think back to Old Testament, right, a, a priest's responsibility, would they, they would have ministered to the Lord, they would have prayed, they would have read the word, they would have worshiped, they would have studied the word. All of those things are qualities and things that a priest would have done. So Jesus did that perfectly. He walked perfectly in step with the Holy Spirit at all times. He knew the word perfectly. He prayed a perfect life. Like Jesus lived that perfectly. And we, as we grow in our identities, that we, that we spend much of our time doing that as well. Like if you think of even coming on a Sunday morning, we spend time in worship. We are growing in our priestly duties. When we study the word or we, we practice prayer and all of those things are priestly responsibilities. And then I would say third to Jesus's identity, his primary identity was that he was king. He was king. It's, it's why we sing a song like all hail King Jesus. He was perfectly king in all of his ways. And I would even be so bold in what we're going to spend most of our morning talking about is that we also have royalty in our blood and are called to walk in our royal identities. Matthew 1 verse 1, when it's talking about the genealogy of Jesus, it says, Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, the son of David. So there is royalty in Jesus's blood. And the reason why I kind of give those clear things is because in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, it's, Paul says, he says, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
such a profound statement. I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if all of us are on this faith journey going through life, what we are trying to do is imitate Christ. That's what we're trying to do. So if Christ responded in this type of way to people, then we want to respond in that type of way. And what really helps is if we can put language to the identities that Christ walked in perfectly, then as we attempt to imitate him, we have language. So for us, we spend much of our Sunday morning, and I think this is probably one of the most profound aspects of the gospel message, that we were adopted into the family of God. Isn't that so beautiful that when we said yes to Jesus and he pursued us and he loved us and we gave our life to the Lord, what happens is we actually get adopted into a family and he calls us son, he calls us daughter. It's one of the most profound mysteries of the gospel and it's something that we never graduate from. It's never something that we move past, but we are always a son and daughter. We're always learning what that means. So we're growing in our identity as a child of God. And then the other one, like I said, we spend much of our time opening the text so that we could grow in our priestly responsibilities of prayer, of worship, of studying the word. But what we're gonna spend most of the morning as we look at Psalms 101 is walking in our royal identity our royal identity. And this is why I really do believe, I think this is why when we watch a movie or we read a book about kings and queens of old, it resonates so deeply with us, right? Have you guys read a book like I think of um, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis? the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And, and you read about these, these, four, these four siblings, two are called from the, the daughters of Eve and two, the sons of Adam. And they step into this unseen world and they are the kings and the queens of Narnia. And it's just, it resonates deeply within our hearts. And the cool thing about C.S. Lewis is he always, he hid within his fictional novels, biblical messages. And that is what he's getting at. He's getting at that we are all called to be kings and queens, that we all have royalty in our blood. So that is what we are going to talk about this morning is our royal identity and how we can walk in it. So that leads us, you guys still with me? I know I just jumped right into that. Psalms 101, that leads us to what we just read, Psalms 101. If I could give you an overview of it, commentators and scholars would kind of agree that this Psalm was most likely written right before David took over Israel. So if you're familiar with the story of David, he was a shepherd, he was anointed king of Israel as a young boy, but he didn't actually step into leading until about 10 or 15 years later. And that journey was quite the process of him. If he was on the run from King Saul with spears being thrown at him, he then led a ragtag group, ragtag group of individuals in the wilderness. He then led Israel's enemy, the Philistines, and then he stepped into leading part of Israel called Judah. And then finally he was crowned king. And what commentators and scholars think is that this was basically his kingly declaration. This is David saying, this is what I want my kingdom to look like. These are the things I'm going to do. It would be similar to when our president gets elected and they give their inaugural address. And he says, this is what I want America to look like. And though those almost never come true, unfortunately, but it's the inaugural address. This is what I want America. And this is David saying, this is what I want Israel to look like. And I would even go so far. It's probably similar to our new year's resolution. Does anybody, are, any new year's resolution people in the room? Like I'm a major new year's resolution person. And, and we like, you sit down and it's like, I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to read more. And then most of the time it doesn't happen, unfortunately, or it lasts for a few months. But that's kind of what David is doing. He's saying, this is what I want my kingdom to look like. Some of the responsibilities that David would have been stepping into as king that we need to be keep in mind as we read this is he would have defended, upheld, and enforced the law, particularly the Torah. So he steps in and he would have enforced it. He would have maintained peace or went to war depending on the need or the threats of the nations around them. 
He would have served, protected, and created systems of relief and escape for the poor, the needy, and the outcast. He would have consolidated power. He would have put leaders into positions. He would have protected the citizens of the nation against foreign and natural threats. Why? To lead to Israel's flourishing. So King David was put in this place and he gives this statement in Psalms 101 of this is how I want to lead. So now let's all keep this in mind. If Christ is perfectly king and we're trying to imitate Christ and we have royalty in our blood, then we need to reflect the values of the kingdom of God because you, you can't simply have the kingdom without a king, right? You have to have Christ the king and within God's kingdom, there are values. There are things that he, like, he prioritizes. And so we need to understand that because if we are trying to imitate Christ as he is king, we want to imitate, we want to represent the values of the kingdom of heaven as well. Are you guys kind of following me on, following me on that thought? Okay. That leads us to Psalms 97, verse 2. Psalms 97, verse 2. If we're thinking about Christ is king, we're imitating Christ, we're walking in our royal identities, we need to represent the kingdom of heaven well. This leads us to Psalms 97, verse 2. The very foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalms 33, verse 5. It says that God, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And then finally, Psalm 68, verse five, it says, he's the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. This is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So what it is describing is God in his very holy place, his habitation, this is who he is like. He's the father of the fatherless, the protector of the widow. So if I could kind of pick three words that would define, I think, very well the values of the kingdom of heaven, it would be righteousness, it would be justice, and it would be love. The values of the kingdom of heaven are righteousness, justice, and love. And so, as I've kind of said, we all have this royal identity. We, we are called to be kings and queens on the earth. Before you check out and you were like, I have, I, I'm not a king, I'm not in the government, I don't have a position of authority like that, I just want to challenge us. And I say, I believe every single person in this room, every one of you has royal, a royal identity. All of you are called to be kings and queens. All of us have royal influence, royal influence. And, and so, fathers and mothers in the room, Fathers and mothers, your kingdom, your domain, your area of influence is first and foremost your household, your household. And my question to you immediately is, does your household reflect the values of the kingdom of heaven? Does it reflect righteousness? Does it reflect justice? Does it reflect love? Like I think of something like righteousness, is that elevated in your household? Is, are you, are you, spurring your kids on to walk in the fruits of the spirit and to love righteousness and to love integrity and to do the right thing when no one is looking? Is it honored? Is righteousness honored in your house by the things that you're doing and the things that you're watching? But also, is there justice? Is there a right and a wrong? Is there discipline when there is needed? Is there an opportunity in your house to go, this is what you deserve, but now I can show you mercy? And then finally, is there steadfast love? Is there a love that is unshakable, unwavering? Do your kids, can they walk away and they go, I know my parents love me, not based on what I do. Grandparents in the room, when you babysit your grandkids, it's more than just babysitting. You're actually creating 
places, atmospheres, environments that reflect the values of the kingdom of heaven. So that when your grandkids come into your area of influence, what do they begin to experience? They experience heaven. So are you valuing righteousness, justice, and love? Or are you simply putting an iPad in front of them and entertaining them for two hours while you give your kids a relief? Or are you reflecting the values of the kingdom? Single people in the room, single, your area of influence, your domain, your kingdom is first and foremost over your inner reality. It is over yourself. Actually, that is true of really all of us in the room. That's where it starts for us is our inner reality, ourself. Are your, does your inner reality, do the thoughts that cross your mind, the words that leave your mouth, the things that are in your heart, do they reflect the values of the kingdom of heaven? Righteousness, justice, and love. The, th the time that you are giving to things, does it reflect righteousness? The shows that you are watching, the thoughts that cross your mind, are they blameless? Are they pure? Do they reflect the fruits of the Spirit? but I think one of the most, notice, the most notable places that when we walk in our royal identity, where we see it, where we feel it is in our workplace. So maybe you're a barista, maybe you're a shift supervisor, an employee, a manager, a CEO, a business leader, whatever the case, is the atmosphere in which you are creating, which is your royal influence, does it reflect the values of the kingdom? Does it reflect righteousness, justice, and love? Think of, think of the employees underneath you. Do they work fair hours? Is, is their working condition ethical? Are they, are they being asked to work absurd hours or in an environment that is not just? Think of righteousness. Is, is betrayal, slander, gossip, is that all welcome in your work environment? Or is righteousness elevated of love and of peace and of joy? And then finally, would people describe the work culture in which you're in as it's a loving environment? It's a loving environment. We all have, we all have kingly influence and we all reflect some value. We do. Whether we're trying or not, we reflect a value. And my challenge to us is that value needs to be those of the kingdom. Righteousness, justice, and love. So that finally leads us to Psalms 101. With all that behind us, Psalms 101, we're going to read in verse 1. It says this, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. So first, right off the bat, I think it's so unique that when Jesus is, is painting a picture of what he wants his kingdom to look like, what does he place at the very top? He places worship. He says, this is what I want my rule to be marked by, and that is worship. I will sing of your love and your justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. So my first question, just presented to us as a church family, is your life marked by worship? We're familiar with Romans 12, 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Is your, does your life in your calendar, does it reflect a lifestyle of worship? But I'm not gonna dwell there. I can't dwell there. I don't have the time. <laughs> Psalms 101, verse two, we'll keep reading. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity within my house. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. And what, what I think just stands out to me so instantly is the word ponder. Like that is, uh, to me, I just want to hear that word. It doesn't, it doesn't feel familiar to us in this culture of this idea of pondering, thinking. The idea, it's a synonym to the word of meditate, to think thoroughly on something. And so my question to us as a church 
is are we pondering the way that is blameless? When we see the direction that we are heading as, as a husband, as a wife, as a single person, the household that you are leading, as you consider where you are going, are you pondering that it is blameless? That's leading to righteousness, that it is faultless. Listen to this in Proverbs 4 verse 26. It says, ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Richard Foster says this. He says, when we ponder the meaning of what we study, we come to hear and see in a new way. Pondering, it implies energy. It implies effort. It implies intentionality. So my question to us, are we pondering the way that is blameless? And the cool thing about this is the Lord, Lord, he actually honors when we wait. He honors when we slow down and when we breathe. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, it says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then it goes on a little later in Lamentations and it says, let him sit alone in silence. That almost feels refreshing to our fast paced culture. Like when I think I, I ordered shoes a few weeks ago <laughs> and I, I bought them and they didn't ship for almost 20 days. They didn't ship for almost 20 days. And I was like, I was fully convinced at this point. I'm like, I'm just returning them. I don't even want them. I think they're dumb anyway, stupid company. And Maddie, like, she's like, Amazon Prime has changed you. Like, this is a real problem that we cannot wait. We need it now. I need it now. I need it now. And I just think that the Lord is encouraging us as a church family, breathe, slow down, go on a walk and don't bring your phone and don't bring your AirPods. Go on a walk, slow down, breathe, sit before the Lord. The Lord says, I am good to those who wait. Ponder the path of your feet as the Proverbs says. But I think what's really cool, and I've had the, kind of the opportunity to do, to do this because I knew I was preaching on this for a while. But Psalms 101, I've been bringing this to the Lord for probably about six weeks now. And I'm just, I'm just sitting and I'm going, pondering the path that is blameless. And what's amazing is as I do that in the morning with the Lord, what immediately begins to join the conversation is my time, and my treasure. Because if we go back to being a king who represents the values of the kingdom, what immediately, I think, I think what shows um, our values most clearly is that of our calendar and that of our budget. And so as I'm sitting there praying, asking the Lord, what is the path that is blameless? All of a sudden my time works in and it says, well, is, is the time that I'm using, the time that I'm spending, is it reflecting the values of the kingdom of heaven? righteousness, justice, and love, or is it reflecting the values of another kingdom? And so now all of a sudden, instead of going, wow, we, we watched a lot of TV or we spent a lot of time just goofing around, hanging out, we, we, all of a sudden I go, wait, I, because I am carrying a royal identity and I have, I have royalty in my blood, I have to ask the question, am I using my time effectively to advance the kingdom of heaven? Because when we ponder the way that is blameless, all of a sudden time joins in. And then we think of our, our treasures, our budget. And all of a sudden, as we're praying, God, are, are we on the direction? Are we stewarding the things that you have given us? Well, the budget comes to mind. And even Maddie came to me a few weeks ago as we've kind of just been praying on things. And she goes, hey, could we consider giving some money monthly to this local ministry? And it's like, oh, 
yeah, we probably can if we, if we bump this back and we spend less on coffee every month. It's amazing. We support a ministry called One Child, where just for a few dollars, you could give and support a kid across the globe and give them clean water and food and an education. And so there are things like that. And as we ponder the way that is blameless, we have to understand that the money we are using and how we use it, they reflect the values of the kingdom. So if I'm buying from companies and businesses that do not reflect the the values of the kingdom, I'm actually supporting a different kingdom. I'm supporting different values. So we should be considering in everything we're doing, the businesses, the companies, the clothing, everything that we are buying should reflect the values of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom. As we ponder the way that is blameless, immediately what joins the conversation is our time and our money. Let's keep reading. Psalms 101 verse 3. David says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. And what stands out to me with this section is the word set. Set, like I think all of us can visualize it. Like I have set my my Bible on the table. And and the thing about set is it's it's in a fixed position or a fixed direction. Like I think of the kids who have the little toys where you, where you, the the car where you crank the back tires and then you let it go. And it's, it's set in a fixed position. And so David, he makes a statement. He says, I will not set before me anything that is worthless. And so I kind of did a little bit of a deep dive on this word set. And I kind of started researching some Old Testament kings and how they did with setting things in front of them. Listen to this, 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14. And he, King Rehoboam, did evil for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He did not put it in the direction to seek the Lord. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 3. For you, Jehoshaphat, destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and you have set your heart to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, verse three. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. We'll read one more. Second Chronicles 20, verse 33. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. And let me tell you, I have plenty more here and this just goes on and on. And then the unique thing that as you read about Israel, if the king pursues the Lord, Israel thrives. And if the king pursues other gods, Israel falls. And I think that is true of us today in our royal influence. And I don't know what that means so much for our country and the leadership we have in the White House, but my challenge is for all of us in this room asking the question, are you reflecting the values of the kingdom of heaven? Because when we do, those underneath underneath us begin to flourish. Those who are under our influence begin to flourish. David reflects similarly in the same concept in Psalm 16, verse eight. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he, has my, he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And I just wonder, I think, I think for most of us, we could say that of almost anything but the Lord, unfortunately. We could say, I have set social media always before me and everywhere I turn, there it is. I have set my job always before me. It has all of my attention. But David says, I've set the Lord always before me. I've set the Lord always before me. So that leads to the question for all of us, have we set something before our eyes that is worthless? Have we set something before our eyes that is worthless? And I, I feel like I, I need to harp on this, partly because I'm, I'm growing up in this very culture, but social media, guys, I believe is one of the, I think it's a dangerous threat to our purity and our righteousness as Christians. 
if I could be so bold to say, I believe that it is attacking our righteousness and impurity. It's, it's always attacking it because let me, let me kind of break it down this way. 10 years ago, maybe when social media first was kind of introduced, I guess it was introduced a while before that, but before it really took off in the world, what you would do is you would approve the people you would follow. And then that is what you saw on your feed right? So you would pick your 150 friends and it was your cousin from out of town and your aunt and your uncle and all these people. And you would, you would scroll and you would look at f- posts that you had pre-approved the people who are posting them. And you would be able to see and you'd be able to like, and then you would get to the end of your feed and you'd put your phone away, you'd put your computer away and you would move on with life. But because social media platforms are after your attention, they had to figure out a way to keep you on your phone. So what did they add probably six or seven years ago? The explore page. They added the explore page. So now instead of watching the 150 people that you have approved, you now have access to anyone. Anyone. You can go look up anyone. You can, anyone who's really online and has their profile public, you can now see. But then what did social media platforms, because they're after our attention, what do they begin to do? They begin, instead of just using the explore page, now when you get to the end of your feed and you're done scrolling, what does social media do? They just pick and choose and they start adding to your feed. And the reason why I feel such a need to say this is because one, parents, if you're, if you're trying to kind of monitor your kids' social media, looking at simply who they are following is not enough. Because now instead of David saying, I will not set anything worthless before my eyes, what we have is we have an algorithm by a supercomputer designed by people who do not represent the values of the kingdom choosing what we look at. And then what happens is as we scroll and as we look, there's a picture that comes our way that we did not approve. And as we linger, we get to a picture that has a little too much skin on it. And we give it a double glance and we linger on it for two or three seconds. And now it notifies the computer, the algorithm switches. And now what do we get in our feed? Pictures that have the same qualities as the picture we just looked at. And guys, if I could be so bold, when we steward social media improperly, I believe it's a gateway drug to pornography. And I'm not saying you can't have it. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can go before the Lord in that. But I think the danger is we, most of us in regards to social media, we can't say I have not set anything before my eyes that is worthless because why social media is choosing what we view. And if I could be so bold, church, I really have to speak to this. This this is a boundary line that we cannot grow weary in holding. I'm telling you, purity and righteousness is a value of the kingdom of heaven. And we cannot grow weary in fighting for it. Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Church, this is a boundary line. Parents, be mindful of this. Peers, students, people my age, this is something we have to be vigilant in guarding. We have to protect our righteousness and say, I am not going to set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And my parents, they didn't raise me perfectly for sure. But I think they, they, they revealed and they modeled this value incredibly well growing up as a kid. And I share this with you to just hopefully get your creative juices going. But growing up as a kid, our Wi-Fi password, yes, our Wi-Fi password was guard your gates. Yeah, I was a pastor's kid. Guard your gates. So every time I had a friend over, we're hanging out, right? We're, we're looking at our phones, we're watching shows. And he's like, what's your Wi-Fi password? And I'm like, G-U-A-R-D-Y-O, are you just gates? And they're like, what? It's like, oh, It's guard your gates. And they're like, guard your gates. And I'm like, yeah, my dad's a pastor. But what it began to distill in me is a value for righteousness. So we're hanging out late and we're watching shows and I'm having to type in guard your gates before we can even get access to the internet. 
Guys, this is a value. We need to begin to reveal righteousness in those who are following us and underneath us. I think of walking into Target in South Fort Collins. I have two brothers and we just knew as we were walking and we had about 10 paces until our left hand came up and our eyes shifted the other way. Because to get back to the sports section, to get back to the men's section, we had to cross by the women's section. And so us as young boys, you best believe in a line of three, we're walking down and we get steps and we throw our hand up and we look the other way and we walk all the way across Target doing that. And, and it's silly, but, and, and we were totally the, the family where people are like, what is going on? These losers. But as we did this, what did it begin to instill in me? A value for righteousness. I'm not going to set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Like I even today walk into Target and I'm like, oh, wow, look at that over there. It's such a natural, it's muscle memory at this point. I've had someone ask, they're like, you ever been to Vegas? I'm like, yeah, once. As a kid, I remember driving through and right when we got to the strip, my mom's like, all right, everyone heads down. <laughs> and we drove the whole strip, didn't see a thing, did not see a thing. But again, it reflected a value of this is a boundary line. Our purity and our righteousness is something to fight for. Church, this is something to fight for. We have to be vigilant in holding this. That leads us to Psalms 101 verse five through verse eight. It says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. And he who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house and no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, this is a, this is a fun section because it's incredibly intense, but this is where we, we, we have to kind of choose to read with some redeemed eyes, with renewed eyes, because what we need to understand is David did write this under what was called the Old Covenant. And so in the old covenant, the law was absolutely supreme. And, and if, you, if you damaged someone's hand, your hand was removed. It was the eye for eye, tooth for a tooth type of concept. That was what David was under. So I think what's really cool is we see modeled very clearly in this text, the values of righteousness and justice. Where David says, he's like, slanderer, he's not hanging out with me, but oh, the faithful, yeah, they're gonna be close to me. He says, I'm not gonna let anybody near me who's, who's doing this, but oh man, I'm gonna hang out with this person. We see righteousness and justice. So we do have to read with redeemed eyes. But what I wanna clarify when we read this and when I talk about old covenant and new covenant is that we do not worship two gods. We don't worship a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. We worship the God of the Bible. And God's values of righteousness, justice, and love are reflected both perfectly in the Old Testament and perfectly in the New Testament. It's not a different God. And Christ, even when he came in Matthew 5, he says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so when we read this, what I do want us to adopt and what I do want us to take away is David's intensity and his hatred towards sin. Guys, we should have, as a church, as believers, we should have a zero tolerance policy to sin. We just should. Not, not to the sinner. We can love the sinner. Um, you better not all of a sudden show up tomorrow and be like, walking up to the person who's far from Jesus and be like, I'm gonna destroy you, you wicked, unrighteous sinner. Like that, you guys, we can't do that. <laughs> we live under the new covenant that is by faith and grace and love and we're redeeming the world through the message of Christ. But I do want in our personal lives to carry with us an intensity like David, where he says, I will know nothing of evil. I will know nothing of evil. I will not let this come into my tent. And I just think that's what's so beautiful is as you begin to look, look at this, 
you see over and over and over again, the language of my. David says, my, I will not let people, my house, my heart. I will, I will. He, it's, it's all here. So our starting place has to be here. It has to be in our hearts. Because if we keep in mind, we're representing and we're trying to imitate Christ who is the king and we're representing his values everywhere we go. And our responsibility as Christians is to grow in walking in this royal identity. And we, we represent values. We just need to make sure that they are the values of the kingdom. And so this leads me to a study that was done in May of 2023 by Barna. Barna is a, is a group that kind of follows trends within the church and Christian movement in America. And they did a study and they, they polled four different people, four, I mean, three different groups, and they asked the same question. And the question was, what makes people doubt Christianity? And the first group was a group of Christians and they asked this group. And then the second was a group of religious people, but who weren't affiliated with Christianity. And then the third were, were people who did not believe agnostics and atheists. And second to human suffering, this is what the Christians answered. At 22%, they said, why do you doubt Christianity? Because of religious hypocrisy. Then if you keep going, when they asked the religious group, it was 26% said religious hypocrisy. And then finally, when they asked the non-believers, guys, this is heartbreaking. 42% of non-believers said, why do they doubt Christianity? Because of religious hypocrisy. And so hear me right now. This is just a little bit of my, my, my gentle warning to us as a church. If we attempt to enact heavenly change around us without allowing first the Holy Spirit to change what is going on within us, what we do is we lay a burden on someone that is too great to bear and we pollute the very gospel message that we've been called to represent. So if you guys go home and you start shoving righteousness and justice down your employees' throats and your kids' throat, it actually will place a burden on them that is too great to bear and it'll absolutely pollute the gospel message that we've been called to represent. So where this starts first and foremost is in us. It's in us. I have to represent the values of the kingdom in my heart and in my mind. That is where it starts. Then from there, we can begin to move out. That's why I think David, multiple times in this passage, this Psalm, in verse two and verse seven, he speaks of this the idea of a house, of a house. He says in verse two, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Then he says, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. And I think, I don't think he's just speaking of an earthly palace. I think he's speaking of our inner house, our inner home. We think of Paul in first Corinthians when he says, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. You are the new dwelling place for the Lord. And so my question to us is, what do our houses, our hearts, our inner realities look like? Do they reflect the kingdom of heaven? And the beautiful thing about this new covenant is now that we have grace, which we must understand grace, it does not, it does not enable, it does not allow unrighteous behavior. It actually empowers righteous living. That is the purpose of grace. It actually gives us strength to walk in righteousness. And guess what? We will fail and that's okay. David, he had this beautiful resolution and this statement. And then towards the end of his life, he took a census and put his faith and his trust in his own armies and 70,000 Israelites were killed because of his actions. I don't think anybody here can relate to that, praise God, but 70,000. And so there is grace for us to walk in this and to walk in our royal identities. So if you guys open your Bibles to Isaiah 32, because I think Isaiah 32 points a paints a beautiful picture of what it looks like when we walk in our royal identities. When we walk as kings and queens on the earth, this is the byproduct. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. 
and each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. And if I could be so bold, I would change and modify that a little bit and say, behold, when a king reigns in righteousness and when princes rule in justice, each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock. And what's awesome is when we begin to welcome the heavens and the values of the heavens into our areas of influence, righteousness, justice, and love, this is the byproduct And you can think of the people who are so beat up by the storms of this life and all they would love is a shelter. And what we do is we create spaces for shelter from the storm and from the wind. And and you can think of probably people in your life today who are just longing for a drink of the living water and maybe they don't know it. What you do is we create areas of influence, little glimpses and little pockets of heaven where where we're leading, where we're influencing people. and, And now we offer a water for people to drink from or, or the rock shade of a great rock in a weary land. The beautiful reality of the gospel story, the story of Jesus is that I would say most beautifully righteousness, justice, and love is seen most clearly in the life of Christ, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Second Corinthians 5 21, it says, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in the life of Christ, we see his profound love that God would be so moved to have us that he would send his son to save us. We see his his intense love for us that he would send his one and only son, Jesus, to save us. But we also see God's justice as as he laid on Christ the perfect lamb the transgressions of us all, letting his son die and receiving the full punishment of our sin. So we see the righteousness of God. And then finally, God did not simply send his son for us to have eternal life, but what does 2 Corinthians say? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness, justice, and love are the values of the kingdom and they have to be the values of our lives as well. And so we're gonna go into a time of communion. We're gonna to come to the table and we're gonna remember what Christ has done and we're gonna to look to the cross and we're gonna remember the, the body that was broken for us and the blood that was spilled out for us for our redemption. Now we are washed clean by the blood of the lamb. But I wanna present three questions to us that I want us to respond with. And the first question is, are you representing, are you reflecting the values of the kingdom? Does your life reflect righteousness, justice, and love? If you were to lay it bare in front of you, could you say, well, I, yeah, I'm standing for righteousness. I'm partnering with things that, that are looking for justice. Yeah, there is love in my life. The second question I want us to ponder is, are you pondering the way that is blameless? Do you have time carved out in your calendar to go the direction that we are heading is blameless, it's faultless, it's pure, it's righteous? And then finally, the third question is, have you set anything before your eyes that is worthless? Have you said anything before your eyes that is worthless? Maybe that's an Instagram follower, something that you're, someone that you're following, or maybe it's a show that you're tolerating, or it's a relationship that you're keeping intact that is not benefiting you. Have you set anything before your eyes that is worthless? And if so, just gently come and repent before the Lord. Well, Holy Spirit, we just, we love you. We love your presence and we love your word. God, we thank you that um, it leads us. It leads us to still waters. And so God, we just, we bless you. We honor you. We thank you for the cross. 
Lord, we thank you for the blood that was spilled for us, for your body that was broken so that we could find life and salvation in you. And so God, we just, we bless your holy name and we say there is none like you in all of the earth and there's none to compare. And so God, we, we honor you today and we thank you. It's all for you. Everyone said, amen. Amen.